KYW Original Podcasts. This is a Flashpoint Encore. I'm Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. Hey, everybody. I was struck by an interview that I had with a young woman by the name of Latoya Ramshore. Uh, She shot and killed her abusive boyfriend in July of 2018. Now, she had had a protection from abuse order and actually shot him with the same gun that he had used a year before to brutally pistol whip her. But what was interesting about this is that LaToya was thrown in prison and she was charged with crimes related to her ex-boyfriend's death and eventually she was acquitted for manslaughter uh, thanks to her attorney, Michael Cord. Now, this raises all sorts of issues about protection of oneself, self-defense, and domestic violence cases. And so I wanted to encore this for you. Take a listen, but first, a quick break. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program, Organ Donors Save Lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you for having us. So first of all, Latoya, how are you doing? I'm doing good today. Yeah? Yeah. You said today. Yeah. <laughs> it be having my days, ups and downs. It's just been a lot of extra stuff. A lot of traveling, tiring. And just some days I just be like, I just ready for everything to be over and done with and just be complete with everything, but it's not there yet. What has the last year and a half or so been like for you emotionally? Some days I'll be okay, then some days I'll be upset, and then some days I'll be mad, and then some days I'll be happy. It's just all over the place. It's a bunch of different emotions that I'll be having. And I just want to go to Michael real quick, and then we'll come back to you, uh, LaToya, because I first heard about this case in 2018. You know, for folks who never heard of the facts of this case, why did you take it? Because it made national headlines. Mm -hmm. Three reasons. One, she's innocent. Two, she's poor. And three, she's black. And those type of people really need assistance when it comes to battling the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. So a mutual friend reached out to me and said, hey, Mike, there's a young lady who has this issue. And I said, well, what is it about? He said, well, she killed somebody. I'm like, "Okay, I understand you contacting me because I handle murder cases. But tell me the facts. He says she killed her boyfriend who broke into her house and violated a protection order. I said, well, if that's true, she wouldn't have been arrested. And he said, yeah, she was arrested. And as I began to investigate further, I'm like, that's exactly what happened. And then when I met her, she's not my typical client. My typical client is the quote unquote thug client. She is everything other than that. So, again, because she's innocent, poor and black, those are three reasons. Then once I met her and heard her story, and it's a tragic story, she needed help and I thought I could help her. And so let's take back to that day. This incident happens and we won't go into the gory details. You call authorities. When did you realize that you were going to be this was going to be some serious trouble? Not at the very moment after it happened. Probably like five minutes after it happened. I just sat down and I told my mom, I'm like, mom, I'm going to jail. And I just felt like my life was going to be over after that. Were you immediately arrested? What happened? Yeah, they uh, took me right in the paddy wagon when they came. They gave you a bell. Yeah. Were you able to meet Bell? 
Yeah, I had people that came together in the, uh, from the Bell Fund community and they built me out. So the Bell Fund got you out. Yeah. The Bell Fund got you out. Your case had been compared to Satoya Brown's mm-hmm. case. Mm-hmm. Uh, a woman who had been suffered abuse because you started dating um, your boyfriend at 13 years old. Y'all had had a, a very uh, abusive relationship. Did you realize that it was abusive? No, I didn't think that it was like that because I was so young. I just felt like that's what it was because mm-hmm. I didn't know nothing else. So, Michael, then she's in this situation. There was a protection from abuse order. Why did that? Why was that protection from abuse order in place? Almost a year to the day of the incident, he had brutally beaten her. I mean, not just with fists, but pistol whipped her. And she had these horrific photographs of busted lip and bloody nose and black eye. So based on that, that would have been July of 2017. The court issued an order saying, hey, you have to stay away from her and her home and her family for at least one year. So about maybe a week before the expiration of that protection abuse order, he sends the threat. He comes to the house. He bum rushes into the house. He knocks her down. He beats her up. He beats up her mother. She goes into the room where he's beating up her mother to say, hey, you got to get out of here. He then comes toward her. And that's when she was compelled to fire the shots. And if I can just add two quick things. One, because the Toya is young and not a lawyer, she obviously doesn't understand the whole criminal justice process. Mm-hmm. Initially, there was no bail. And the reason that there was no bail initially is that she was charged with criminal homicide generally. And when you're charged with criminal homicide generally, that's anything from first degree murder, second degree murder, third degree murder, voluntary manslaughter and involuntary manslaughter. So they just didn't know which they one it would be. They didn't know which ones. And in Pennsylvania, you get no bail on first or second degree murder. So that's when the legal machinations came in, and I was able to argue at the preliminary hearing that clearly this is not first because no premeditation. It's not second because there's no felony murder, and it's also not third degree. And the reason it's not third degree is because there was no criminal intent. The only issue here is whether or not it was a manslaughter. I made the argument that it wasn't even that, but based on the Commonwealth's allegations, at worst, it would have been voluntary manslaughter. And for that, you should have reasonable bail, especially if you have no prior criminal contact. And that was her. Did you realize that your case, your situation would resonate with so many people across the world? I knew that it would, but I really didn't think it would be this much effective on me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how did it affect you? That's, I just feel like that everywhere I go, people just talking about mm-hmm. they know who I am. And is that good or bad? Sometimes I think that is good because I want people to realize it, that you could not be here and stuff like that. And then sometimes I think that is bad because I don't want everybody to know my business. But then at the same time, it's something that you need to talk about with people. Going through this, and I've, I've talked to other people who have been accused, put up in the media, and then later acquitted, but they, they still have to, to live kind of through this. What has been the toughest part for you living through this? Trying to get a job and do things the way that I want to do things is really hard. It's like pushing me back, not helping me get nowhere. And, and, and why is that, do you think? Because... When people run my name, they look at what's on there and they just like, oh, we don't want to work with her. But it's like you don't know me. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. the hard part. There are a lot of women who are in prison right now who were abused. Absolutely. Physically, Absolutely. emotionally, Absolutely. sexually abused. Yep. 
uh, by someone. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's because of this interaction yes. that they're in prison. What you said uh, off mic before we start recording this, that uh, Latoya shouldn't even have been arrested or mm-hmm. charged. Why? There's something in Pennsylvania called the Castle Doctrine. And the Castle Doctrine pretty much says that a man's home is his castle. In this case, a woman's home is her castle. It says that if somebody comes into your home, into your castle, to do you bodily harm, you do not have to retreat. Let's say you and I are on the street, um, Cherry, Cherry, and we're having an argument. And as we're having an argument, you threaten me, but I can easily turn around and go into my home. But I choose not to retreat. I decide to pull out my gun and shoot you. That's going to be a problem because I have a duty to retreat if we're on the street. But let's say I'm in my house and you come into my house with that same thing. I have no duty to retreat. So the law says that if you're in your home an intruder comes, then you have the right to use serious bodily harm against that person. It gets even better. It also that same law, the Castle Doctrine law in Pennsylvania goes on to say If the entry of the decedent is illegal, you have an even stronger argument against that person. So in this case, we had the issue of an illegal entry because there was a protection abuse order in effect. In fact, I was a little irritated with the jury, but ultimately ecstatic with them. The only reason I say this is because this was a no brainer. They should have found her not guilty in five minutes. The deliberation took maybe about three or four hours, and there were a couple questions. And the questions all circled around the issue of was the protection abuse order in effect at the time of the shooting? And it clearly was. And if I was asked to speculate, I'd say that there was somebody on the jury who said, well, the guy did beat her up, but then he left her and he went to beat up the mother and he stopped beating up the mother and she had the gun. So once he stopped beating up the mother, Latoya should have let him leave. That wasn't the issue because, again, as long as that protection abuse order is in effect, she has the right to use lethal force. And it wasn't as if he stopped beating her and stopped beating her mother and was about to leave. He beat her, beat her mother, and then moved toward Latoya as she said, Devin, leave. Instead of leaving out of the back as he easily could, he stepped toward her and she was compelled to shoot. One final thing I do want to say as a follow-up to a question you asked her. Yeah. Because, Latoya, this is traumatic for anybody. Mm -hmm. And you asked pretty much what happened in this case, and she filled in the blanks, but this is exactly how it happened. The guy threatens to kill her and make the daughter an orphan. He then comes to the house. He pushes in the door. He knocks her down. He beats her up. He goes to the mother, beats up the mother. And that's when Latoya, by the way, the gun he was killed with was his gun. He left his gun in her house. So she goes into the bag. She actually left the bag by the door for him to take his belongings when he came and leave. But he didn't just take them and leave. So now he's in the bedroom beating up the mother. Latoya goes into the bag, gets the gun, tells him to leave. He doesn't. He steps toward her. She fires five shots, killing him. And this is the thing that she didn't say as a follow up to your question. She went into a zombie like state. She, after shooting him, walks outside with the gun in her hand, just walking up and down the street. The mother's yelling to Latoya, Toy, the police are coming. I just called the police. You just called the police. They're going to come here and you're walking up and down the street with the gun in your hand. And do you remember those moments after? Do you remember that at all? No, I just remember going back in the house because I was trying to go in there to go get my mom. I don't remember that part. 
But I like remember, but then again, I don't. Yeah. Do you still y'all have a daughter together? Mm-hmm. Do you still feel some kind of way about him personally, even though he's not here anymore about this incident? How do you feel about it? I feel a bunch of different things because I still miss him, even though that situation happened. I got to look at my daughter and I see him all the time. Mm-hmm. So, I'm sorry to have asked you that question. This is a very... That's tra- an important question. Yeah, it, this is a very traumatic situation. How's your daughter doing? She misses him. Which is understandable. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you just posed the question you did because... When I can't disclose everything that Toya and I talked about, but one of the questions I repeatedly asked, I said, well, Toya, this guy has been physically abusing you since you were 13 or 14 years old. I said, why didn't you leave him? She said, I loved him. And I said, even though he did these things, she said, yes. I said, even after the shooting, she said, yes. I said, LaToya, how can you love somebody that you're afraid of? She said she didn't know. It just is. Yeah. And we talked about that at the very uh, beginning because being 13, I mean, 13 and 19, that's statutory rape. Absolutely. He's having sex with her at age 13, impregnates her at 14. Yeah. She has the baby at 15. Did you even have any concept? Because you have a daughter who's, what, 10 now? Mm-hmm. And did you, do you even think about her three years from now being with someone in this way? I don't want to think about that. I just want her to be real different from how I was when I was my age back then. Because I don't want her to have to go through nothing that I had to go through. Mm-hmm. So I try to talk to her and stuff like that. And I think that she understands, but she's still young. Now, do you even have a concept of who you were at that time? I was just somebody that was looking for something that I wasn't getting. And now... I feel like that I'm older. I know what I want out of life, and I know how to go about getting it. So, Yeah. Devin's family, his family, still the grandparents of your daughter. I understand that you had received death threats. Has that quieted down at all? Mm, It was bad at court, but I don't have contact with them, so I try to really not indulge into that because it's just nonsense to me. Because when he was here, none of y'all actually really cared. He was with me most of the time. So it was like, y'all just doing all of this now, and I feel like it's for attention, some of it. Did people know the abuse that was happening there? Probably just some people that I talked to, but no. They didn't know, but but people knew. Some people knew. This case, your case, LaToya, shines a light on some major issues in criminal justice. What issues do you see here and can reform happen using this case as an example? I've gotten so many calls from women in state prison who've been convicted already of these types of crimes. Mm. They want me to file either a direct appeal to the Superior Court or a habeas corpus to the state Supreme Court or a um, PCRA. So and it's really funny because I'm telling them, hey, I don't really do this kind of case. I do death penalty murder cases. I normally don't deal with domestic relations, but I've gotten so many calls from so many family members of women in Pennsylvania state prisons. So there's a need for it. So even though it's not something I really, really wanted to do, I'm going to handle at least some of those cases. That's on 
what I really want to do, that's on the back end. The problem has already happened, and now I got to go in and fix it. But the other thing I'm doing on the front end is reaching out to district attorney's office and saying, hey, I know that generally every DA's office has a charging unit. So a person is accused of doing something on the street. The police arrest that person. The police submit that report to the DA's charging unit. Mm. The charging unit decides what to do regarding what criminal charges. My suggestion is for the DA's office to have a separate charging unit specifically for domestic assault cases. So if there's a guy with the gun robbing people, selling drugs, okay, do what you normally do. But if there's a woman who's accused of killing an abuser, then we got to have something separate. And in a case like this, that separate unit would say there was an abuse order in effect, check. There was a threat by text, we have a copy, check. He broke into the house, we know that, check. He was shot with his own gun, check. We're not prosecuting this case because I said to the jury in my opening statement and closing argument, why are we here? And I meant that. So to answer your question directly, I'm working on some stuff on the back end for women who've already been victimized, who need appeals filed. And I'm also trying to get the DA's office coming with a different policy for these types of cases. Yeah. And I got to ask you this, Latoya, let's go back to the day the jury came back with this verdict. What was that moment like for you? A bunch of anxiety. Because it was a few hours, you had to wait, questions yeah. coming back. What Sitting there in that chair, just waiting. Yeah, it was, it was very nervous, nervous, mm-hmm. nerve-wracking. My anxiety was going through the roof. I couldn't sit still. And just, just knowing that my life is in these people's hands. Mm-hmm. Even though the law is the law, but you still got to look at everything else. Had you even heard of this? these doctrines that no. <laughs> Michael is talking about, the Castle Doctrine? Uh, and had you heard of any of these things? Did you even know that that was the law at the time? No, my field was medical. I don't do mm-hmm. nothing with law. Mm-hmm. And so when they came back not guilty, I mean, what was your reaction? I was relieved. I was shaken. A whole bunch of feelings. And so now that was 10 years of your life with this man. We started a new decade just days ago. What's ahead for you? Right now, I'm just trying to get myself together mentally and physically so that I can be what I need to be for my daughter because right now she's with my mom. So that's what I'm trying to do is just get myself back to where I want to be in life, doing good. And being at peace and being able to do what I want to do when I want to do it and just living life. Do you feel like you're not at peace right now? And why? I'm still all over the place. And there's still too much stuff happening going on around me. And I don't want to let this situation go because I feel like it's not something that I need to let go. It's a lot of people out here that's going through the situation and I feel like I know people personally, and I always try to tell them, like, you don't need to do that. You don't need to be in this relationship or even deal with it because look at my situation. Yeah. I understand how you feel about the person. You may got kids or whatever, but it's not worth the the headache, the trauma. It's not worth none of it. And so you want to, in a way, it seems like you want to help women who are— 
in domestic violence or victims of domestic violence. Yeah, I do. Do you see yourself as being the person you may have needed? Yeah. And I didn't think about it like that before, but now I'm starting to look at it like that. Because you don't have nobody that actually talks about it. It's closed doors on that situation, and it happens a lot. It just happened recently. And since my situation happened, I probably heard about 10 incidents since then and probably more. What's next, Michael? How do we, how does the public help? Because getting a job after Mm -hmm. acquittal is very difficult. Putting your life back together piece by piece is hard. Uh, It's a couple things. Uh, First, in terms of Latoya's life, I like to think that I'm well prepared as a lawyer. So before Latoya testified, we dotted every I, crossed every T so she gets on the stand. And it was shocking to me one question the DA posed her about her background and asked Latoya about her father. And many people say, okay, my father is Joe Blow. He's a carpenter, plumber, whatever. And Latoya said not only was her father not part of her life growing up, she doesn't even know who he is. Mm. And I was shocked, like, wow, I can see what happened to this little girl coming into becoming a young woman with no real direction. So that's one thing I found out about her is that she not only had no relationship with the father, she doesn't know who her father is. And that's why I like the way you posed the question about Latoya being the person that she needed. Because despite going through all this hell in life, she was able to overcome all that. The other thing I wanted to mention very quickly in terms of employment, there was an article written about a week ago in the Philadelphia Inquirer by Jen Armstrong. A great article, so much so that it got the attention of several elected officials. And at some point the next week or so, I'll announce their names, but there's one city council person, there are three state reps, and there are two state senators all of whom are helping her to get a job. So I'm hoping that within the next week, I'm able to tell everybody she was able to get a job. Because I've been doing criminal law for so much, one case kind of blends into the next. But this is an aberration. So every time I go anywhere to talk about her case, I carry with me the verdict sheet. And this is the actual verdict sheet from her case. And I wrote down here that on Friday, December 19, 2019, at 12.56 p.m., the jury entered the courtroom. And we then had to stand up. And I'd never told Latoya this, but there must have been around seven, eight, nine deputy sheriffs who came to the courtroom. And normally they come to the courtroom because most times defendants are found guilty and have to be taken into custody. So you must but have I, been. I wasn't going to tell her that, but I have to admit, I wasn't nervous. I, I was really, I mean, I was confident to the point of arrogance. Just yeah. like I just knew that yeah. it was a no-brainer. The only issue I had is why is it taking you all so long to do what needs to be done? Um, you also asked a question about threats against Latoya. Another reason I found out afterward that the sheriffs weren't in there to take her into custody. They were in there because there were so many threats going around. And the court staff had found out about it, and they alerted the um, sheriff's department. That's the background, and I'm hoping that in terms of the future, things turn out well, because based on my contact with these elected officials, she will be fully employed, I'd say, within the next week to 10 days. And I do have to just say this, because as a journalist, I have to represent all sides. A man did lose his life here. There is a family that is still grieving, and so we don't want to ignore that. But I want to say to you, LaToya, moving forward, what's the vision for yourself so 10 years from now five years from now three years from now my vision right now at this very moment is to like for one get myself together for myself and then I do want to be out there speaking to people going to 
places and traveling all over the world and talking to them and letting my story be heard, even though I know a lot of people know about it, but a lot of people probably don't know about it. So I want them to know about it and talk to them. And I want to do something about the law because that shouldn't be like that. And I want to be the face of that to change it. Thank you to you, LaToya Ramsher. Uh, thank you to you, Michael Cord, for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. And I wish you Godspeed. I really do. And Cherry, thank you for not only being a great journalist in the questions you pose, but for being sensitive in posing the questions. My pleasure. Thank you so much. If you like what you hear, stick around and listen to some past episodes of the Flashpoint Podcast. Some of our most popular podcasts include our debate over the Byron Allen $20 billion lawsuit against Comcast. We also did a recent episode on forgiveness, especially in a world of cancel culture and gun violence. Also, be sure to check out our Flashpoint Extras. Thanks all.